Would you turn with me to Psalm chapter 30? I should not say chapter 30 because it's not a chapter. It is another psalm. Would you turn to Psalm, the 30th Psalm? And if you follow along in one of the Bibles, one of the black Bibles, we'd love for you to take one if you don't have one. And they would be found on page 431 or 461. There's two different, one that's a little thicker than the other with two different volumes of it. Either 431 or 461. We're in Psalm 30 today because we are picking up a psalm series that I began three years ago. And I am beginning the fourth decade of the psalms, meaning the 30s. And so in this year, I plan to preach, if the Lord wills, Psalm 30 through 39. And then next year, we'll pick up in 40. I shared this information that this is my plan of a long-term plan through Psalms, and then we'll do other things. I shared that with some of you here and Bonnie Crow, who marks up in her Bible the note. She said, oh, pastor, then I may not be alive when you finish the series. And I said, oh, Bonnie, heaven will be much better than my series. Bless you, Bonnie, for your zeal. One of the greatest preachers in the history of the English language. A man from the 1800s in England, a man with, we could say, numerous health issues. I mean, he, he lived a pastoral life that was very fruitful and also very painful. They didn't have the health care we had today. In fact, he died at the Young age of 57, his name was Charles Spurgeon. You've heard his name probably. This man spoke to some young pastors aspiring to being pastors. And he said this to them. I dare say that the greatest earthly blessing that God can give to any of us is health. With the exception... Of sickness. Let you think on that for a second. If some men that I know of could only be favored with a month of rheumatism, of which is symptoms of arthritis, he says, if it would by God's grace mellow or humble them marvelously. The spiritual impact of sickness, or let me expand that, affliction, trial. Psalm 119 says, before I was afflicted, the psalmist says, I went astray, but now I keep your word. It was good for me to be afflicted, that I might learn your statutes. It was good for me to be sick. It was good for me to be in a trial. The psalmist says in verse 71 of Psalm 119. I know that many of you in this room, and maybe those watching now or later, would testify to the fact that hardships, including great sickness, disease, cancer, have had a healing effect on your soul. For some, it's the opposite. I know that, but it has can have a healing effect on your soul. Meaning your walk with God grows and strengthens. My sermon this morning from this psalm, Psalm 30, 
is called a, I entitled it, A Song from a Healed, Humbled, and Happy Worshipper. Now, I read that to Molly last night. We were talking about the sermon. She suggested that I change the order to humbled and then healed. Because in some ways, that's really what's happening in this passage. It's a short enough psalm. It's only 12 verses for us. And it's short enough for us to walk through this passage this morning. And I want to do that by going through the four divisions of this passage so that we can grip the content of the psalm. And then I want to give you some takeaways from this passage. There are some juicy quotes in this passage. This is a beautiful poem. You find in verse 5, if you cast your eyes on verse 5, it says, for his anger is but for a moment, but his favor is for a lifetime. Weeping may tarry for the night, but joy comes with the morning. Or verse 11 You have turned my mourning, not like the morning of the day, but grieving, my mourning into dancing. Let's look at this psalm and then let's end with some takeaways. I'll I'll title it part one, two, three, and four. Part one, praise to the Lord. I'm going to read it to you. Verses one through five. I will extol you or I will praise you. O Lord, for you have drawn me up. It's the imagery of you have taken like a bucket in a well and you drew me up. I was down at the depths of the well, which was really a grave, and have not let my foes or my enemies rejoice, or I'm going to say gloat over me. O Lord, my God. And by the way, whenever you're reading in the Old Testament, your Bibles are usually marked with all capital L-O-R-D when it comes to Lord for some of the words. And wherever it's an all capital Lord, it's the special name of Yahweh, God. It's named for His personal name of His covenant name to His people. O Lord, my God, I cried to you for help, and you have healed me, he says. O Lord, you have brought up my soul, that word Sheol, from Sheol, is the idea, the place of the grave. You restored me to life among those who go down to the pit, we could say to the tomb. What David is saying in these first three verses, I praise you because I was at the brink of death. I think presumably he was sick unto death and thought he was going to die. He's the king. This is written by David. And yet he says, I praise you, O God. Here's a celebration after the fact. He says, The enemies of God and my enemies who would have just loved the fact that I who trust in God would die a premature death as the king when I was promised to be this king. He says, they did not rejoice over me because you brought me up and I praise you and I extol you forever and ever. And then he turns to, in verse 4, to the rest of Israel And to the rest of the congregation that are worshiping, and he says, sing praises to Yahweh. 
oh, you his saints. That word really has to do with you faithful ones, but it's actually the word has to do with the word that talks about God's faithfulness to us, you loving kindness receiving ones. We are the loving kindness receiving ones from God. The ones who have received God's love, he says, sing praises and give thanks to his holy name. For his anger, he says, is but for a moment. His favor is for a lifetime. Weeping may tarry for the night, but joy comes in the morning. Here we get David praising God for his healing. And I would say you divide these first five verses up with saying, in verses one through four, he's saying, I praise God and I want you to praise God for God's work. It is God that's always working. Do you see God working here? He says, you drew me up. You did not let my foes rejoice. You healed me. You brought up my soul. You restored my life. And so, sing praises. Sing with me praises. So David says, praise him for what he does. And then he turns to verse 5 and he says, and now praise God for his ways, his character. David says, he is the God. You want to know his way? His, he might be angry, but it will be but a moment for his people. But his favor, his displeasure is just a little bit. His favor is for a lifetime, and I think the poetical form of this is he's not saying it's for a twinkling moment, it's with the idea, and then for a lifetime, and then who knows what's next. I think that lifetime comparison is forever in comparison to a moment. That's the way God is towards us. Weeping might be for the night, and it might last and tarry, but joy is coming when the sun rises. His grace comes. And so he praises God for his work and he praises God for his ways. He's merciful and gracious. Joy's coming. David was saved by Yahweh and he praises for him. He was drawn up. And David sings. And that these verses of anger for a moment, favor for a lifetime, they ring with the New Testament passages of the Apostle Paul where in 2 Corinthians Chapter 4, one of the best passages at the end of chapter 4. You need to know these verses. Verses 16 through 18. I preached them in the fall, or actually in the summer of last year. We don't lose heart, Paul says. Our outer man is wasting away, but our inner self is being renewed for this light momentary affliction in this life is producing an eternal weight of glory beyond all comparison. His Anger might be for a moment, but his pleasure and joy is forever for God's people. That's part one, a praise. God is this way, and this is what God has done for me. Part two moves us into a confession. Really, there's a confession in one verse to Israel about his, his attitude and thinking, and I think this, in some ways this is the crux of this. It gets us into the, the lessons of this psalm particularly. Let's look at verses 6 and 7, a confession to the Lord. As for me, he says, I said in my prosperity, 
I shall never be moved. By your favor, O Lord, you made my mountain stand strong. You hid your face. I was dismayed. And here we get to the heart of the psalm. At least what I say is the lessons that we get here. He referred to his anger in verse 5 as but for a moment. And I think he's referring to the fact of the discipline he received, probably in some ways for sin in his life, that resulted in the sickness that almost killed him. By the way, I'm not saying that all sickness that you have is because of a particular sin in your life. In fact, a lot of times it's not. We find in Jesus' ministry, he said, he is not sick because his parents sinned or because he sinned, but to glorify God. And there are other times when someone is sick and they are under the loving discipline of God. And I think in this case, he is because as he confesses in verse 6, six he's, I think he's confessing what we call the sin of presumption. He says in verse 6, as for me, I said in my prosperity or my ease or my self-sufficiency, I shall never be moved. I think what, what the psalmist David is saying is, Things started to go really good with my kingdom. And if you read in 2 Samuel, you see that it goes stellar well for him. He is the king at the height of his power. His kingdom is expanding. The Philistines are being routed. All his enemies he's been delivered from. He is wealthy. He's building a palace. And then he's going to prepare to build a house for God, the temple. And I think he's saying, in, I said in my prosperity, and it was starting to get really easy, I shall never be moved. As one commentator writes, note this, easy circumstances and a careless outlook are seldom far apart. Let me say that again, easy circumstances and a careless outlook are seldom far apart. When, I want to ask you this. When have you grown as a Christian spiritually? Like, when has your faith really grown deep and in massive ways when your life is just filled with ease and constant comfort, whether that be financially or health or relationships? We can... Sometimes that can happen, but I know for me, as I review the times in which I grew the most was when I started, when I came at it from being discouraged by a financial trial, a relationship trial, a pastoral difficulty, discouragement, and it drew me on my knees. When things were easy, I started to become complacent and careless in my outlook, and I think that's what's true of David. I said in my ease, I shall never be moved. May we never, ever, ever say, I'll never be moved. I'll never fall. Let us never be like Peter who said to Jesus, I'll never betray you. I'll die standing up for you. Oh no, Peter. You will deny me three times before the cock crows. And it was pride. 
it reminds us of 2 Chronicles chapter 32. At the end of the stories of the kings, 2 Chronicles chapter 32, we find a powerful story of Hezekiah the king, who was mostly a good king in his life, and he was at the end of the reigns, really before they were going to go into exile because of their sin in Israel and Judah, but Hezekiah is in Jerusalem as the king of Judah, and the Sennacherib king of Assyria had almost destroyed him, and God delivered him as he looked after He looked to God and God delivered him. And it says that Hezekiah the king was exalted in the sight of the nations. Things were at ease and prosperity. It says in those days though, he became sick and was at the point of death. And he prayed to God and the God answered him and gave him a sign. But it says that Hezekiah did not make return according to the benefit done to him, because his heart was proud. I think it was saying he was so focused on all that he had, he started to think that his kingdom and his might and his health and anything else, well, was either deserved or just given. And we as Americans, especially, in this age of the 21st century, the richest people in the history of humanity in some ways, top percentage of it, even though we might have things tight financially, but the comforts and the luxuries and the benefits and the health care, all the things that we have compared to centuries before, it is very easy for us to say in our prosperity and, not be, and to be like Hezekiah and not make as the word says here, not make return according to the benefit done for us with gratitude and trust and dependence. And it says that God brought wrath upon him in Jerusalem. We find the conclusion of that story that Hezekiah humbled himself of the pride in his heart. What the psalmist says back to the passage is in verse 7, He says, actually in verse 6, he says, I shall not be moved, verse 7, by your favor, O Lord, you made my mountain stand strong. I think he's David saying is, I realize now my kingdom, my dynasty, my royal line, all that I've been given, it came from you. You made my mountain strong to be the king of Israel, actually to be the king that would continue on. You said my line would go forever and ever. But it is you who made it strong, not me. And as I reflect on my sickness near to death, you hid your face and I was dismayed. David's saying, the moment you hide your face, I am a goner. It reminds us of Psalm 104 when... The psalmist is praising God for how he benefits the earth and all the produce and all of the land and all of the animals and all the creatures of the earth. But then it says, he says in verse 28 of Psalm 104, when you give light, give it to them, they gathered up, you open your hand, they're filled with good things. When you hide your face, they're dismayed. When you take away their breath, they die and they return to dust. I think David is is reminding us. He was taught this lesson in the midst of the sickness to go, may I never presume 
on the benefits and the blessings of God. It is all but of His grace. I need His face shining on me. And if His face doesn't shine on me, I am dismayed. I am destroyed. I am gone. I have no hope. Friends, the grace of God in our lives shines upon us, and that is our hope. No, I pray that for you, it will be your hope this year in 2023. And we move to part three. You find in verses eight through 10, now a prayer to God. Here's the prayer I think that David prayed to God when he was in this illness to death. In verses eight through 10, it says, to you, O Lord, I cry. And I think you could almost say, to you, O Lord, I cried. This is what I did. I cried. To you, I pled for mercy notice how he pleads to God. What profit is there in my death? If I go down to the pit, will the dust praise you? Will it tell of your faithfulness? Will the grave with my ashes, my dust in the grave rotting, will that praise you? Will that, my dead body, tell of your faithfulness on this earth? And then here is pleading, hear, O Lord, and be merciful to me. O Lord, be my helper. We're going to be through many of these psalms, and we're going to see in each of these psalms different ways in which the the psalms teach us to pray. His prayer here is a prayer that is desperate for mercy. He knows he needs mercy. He says, I cry, I plead for mercy. He says, be my helper and hear. Friends, these are the words, this is the type of language that we need on our daily basis. We go to God in prayer tomorrow morning, tonight, this afternoon, whatever burdens that you have and open your eyes and you'll see that you do have burdens and responsibilities that you cannot bear in your own strength. Cry like David did. Plead for mercy not deserving. You don't deserve anything. We don't deserve grace, but he pleaded for mercy. Plead for God to be your helper. Cry out to him for, to hear you. But I want you to see, and even I pray that we will all learn to pray with the type of motivation that I think drove David here. And we see that in verse 9. He prays that profit would happen. Now, For us, when we think of that was a profitable prayer, we often think in terms of, I got more comfortable. I got what I wanted. I I had things go my way. I it all worked out like I wanted it. And yet I think I know David's heart has been to transform to a different value system. And so profit for David means something different than just profit for us when we're in our selfish mode. David says, would you bring profit? What profit would there be if I go to the dust? And his answer is, because profit equals me living a life praising you. Friends, profit in your life means you living a life that shows that God is good by your words and by your actions and by your life. Profit means living 
to the glory of God, having your heart transformed by Him. And He says, if I go to the grave, I will not be able to praise you here on this earth and my bones will not be able to tell of your faithfulness. That is our calling. Oh, that we would, even if today we would go to God with whatever burden that we have and say, God, I want to have this kind of prayerful devotion in my prayers to you. As I started the sermon with pastoral prayer, I began with, hallowed be your name. From Jesus' instructions to us called the Lord's Prayer. Hallowed be your name. Hallowed be your name. It means to your name be glory. You be glorified. Jesus was teaching us when you pray, pray with God and His name is central. And this is what David does. May God help us be transformed into that praying. God loves when, God, when our hearts go to Him with this kind of motivation. Now let's finish the psalm as we move to the fourth part. So we see in verses 11 and 12, I guess the beginning, a sandwich of praise. You have verses 11 and 12, another praise again to the Lord. You begin with praise to the Lord and you end with praise again to the Lord. The psalm begins and ends this way. He says in verse 11, it's a pray to God, prayer to God. God, you have turned for me. What was my mourning, my grieving, my weeping that was in the night, that tarried in the night, into dancing. This is a, this is a dancing of absolute wonder and praise and glory to God. I grew up a Baptist, and I know David wasn't a Baptist because we didn't dance, but David does. That is a joke, okay. Okay, thank you for laughing. Okay, he says, and you loosed my sackcloth. It's a symbolism of my, my clothing of grieving like at a funeral of mourning. My black funeral clothes. And you have clothed me instead with celebration garments. My heart has been made absolutely joyful and glad. But he says here in this passage, but there's a purpose for all of this. You made me glad and you restored and took my mourning, and my grief and my sadness and you brought it into dancing and joy that my glory, I have a glory that I'm meant to point to something else. My glory may sing your praise and not be silent. I would be a singer. I would praise you. I would not keep my mouth quiet, but I would tell of your faithfulness. Oh, Lord, my God, he says, I will give thanks to you forever. It begins and ends with David as a happy worshiper. When I say happy, I don't mean a shallow, short term, only on circumstances and feelings. He is transformed into true glad, gladness. And so I want to end this by giving you four implications of this psalm that I see from David's life of, I was sick. My sickness was really God waking me up to say, 
I thought I had it made and I was okay. And in reality, I was being lazy and I needed to turn to God. But he healed me and he was merciful to me. Here are four implications for our application, for our living out. I pray that we would, each of us, like as we go into this year, something would just stick and go, man, I need this. I need this to shape my view of God, my view of the world, my view of of how I relate to the difficult circumstances, my sickness that I'm experiencing. It might not be sickness, but it might be relationship sickness. It might be something that's just so painful. Number one, every blessing is from Christ to lead us to joyful worship of God. I, I, I bring this out because really the, the God that David worships is the one he is a picture of that will come, and that's Jesus Christ, who Jesus Christ is the keeper of the covenant and fulfills everything, and it's why we have any benefit. And Dave, every blessing is from Christ to lead us to worship. David sings as one who made who God had made a covenant with David. And God makes a covenant with you and me as sinners, and he does that through Jesus Christ, the Savior of all who put their trust in him. Oh, if you're here this morning, I want you to have this covenantal protection and love and care that all the blessings in your life are actually a result of Jesus Christ leading you to joyful worship of Him. If you have not yet received His grace and forgiveness in Christ Jesus, all of the blessings that take place in this life, all of the good things, all they are going to be evidences at your judgment of how much you squandered as you face eternity in hell. But to all who receive Christ, all of those blessings are but like kindling and fuel for us to praise God. You see, David needed to learn this. He needed to learn that his mountain was made strong in verse 7. But it was for him to praise God and never think that he would not be moved. It was David who needed to learn this. All our blessings, Faith Church, of 20. 22 and 2023, whether they come through good times or bad times, all of those blessings flow out of this, that all of it comes through Jesus Christ and his grace, and it has a purpose. They exist for us to praise God, or like Hezekiah didn't do in 2 Chronicles 32, for us to make a good return for all the benefits that God has done for us, namely our salvation and His constant care for us. Everything good that you enjoy in your life, every bit of it comes from God. All, all that is good and right and all that is perverted and is wrong will just destroy you. God calls you to live a life and live, us to live a life of grateful worship to Him and so if you're doing well right now, and you are living in ease and prosperity, relatively, it's a good season, oh, give praise to God. Keep giving praise to God. Call on His name and thank Him. And remember, remember what it's for, not for your sake. You didn't deserve it. You didn't ultimately earn it. It's from Him. Number two, we are prone to get spiritually 
forgetful and lazy regarding Christ's blessings to us. Friends, this is, I, I testify it, it is absolutely true. For me, I can go through seasons in which things seem to just go so good and so great on the outward surface, and I can find myself not clinging to this precious book and its promises, not seeking prayer from others more desperately, not fighting sin, including the subtle sins that come in when things are good. We are prone to get spiritually forgetful and lazy regarding Christ's blessings to us. And like Hezekiah, we can quickly forget that all, and like David, that all comes from God, and we start to think that it's our right or our due, and we don't make return according to the benefit done to us. We don't praise, we don't thank Him, we, remember, we don't remember why He's blessed us. At the end of 2 Timothy chapter, or 1 Timothy Chapter 6, Paul writes to the rich in this present world. And frankly, compared to the, I already said this, the history of the world, we are wealthy. We have so much. Paul says, I warn those who are rich to not be haughty or proud or to put their hope in the uncertainty of riches. David would say, please listen to that. I said in my prosperity, I will not be moved. And boy, was I moved. How foolish to think that way. Oh, may we come into this year and realize that in good times, we need to be really careful because we have a tendency to spiritually forget. We do not handle success well. In fact, we find that a big chunk of the instructions to Israel in the early parts of the Pentateuch, the the first books of the Bible, is when God's going to, they're going to go into the land of Israel. He says, the problem will be you won't handle success well and you're going to forget that it was me that did this. This message should wake us up. Friends, God has not blessed you with health or with gifts and talents or with money or with family, or energy, or anything else for your short-term comfort. Those are blessings. When you are comfortable, praise Him for it and enjoy it to the glory of God. But He blessed you to glorify Him and to love others with. We are prone to get spiritually lazy, forgetful and lazy regarding Christ's promises. Third thing. I love this. The Lord disciplines and delivers sinful but repentant believers. We find David, I think, getting disciplined. And he would say, God's anger, it's not his punishing and hell anger. It's more of his disciplining as a loving father anger is but for a moment, but his favors for a lifetime. He's forgiven me. The Lord disciplines to those who are saved, to those who have been covered by the blood of Jesus Christ and who have received Him in faith. God is your Father. And as Hebrews chapter 12 says, He disciplines those whom He loves. His anger is but for a moment, but He will hide His face sometimes in our lives as David uses that phrase in verse 7. To keep us in our humble 
an eventually long-term happy place, joyful place, rooted in Him. He disciplines us when we're proud. He delivers those who are sinners, but who repent, who humble themselves before you. I hope you hear hope ringing in the psalm to say, you might come here feel like, man, I have things to confess. And I hope that you hear, joy comes in the morning. There is restoration. He turns weeping and mourning into dancing to those who humble themselves and cry out to Him. Paul will do that and learns that in 2 Corinthians when he says, I was at the place of the brink of death. I thought the sentence of death was on me, but this was to teach me to rely not on myself. And I was probably relying on myself too much, but on God who raises the dead. Oh, may God help us this year to remember and continue to cry out to God. God is a delivering and forgiving God to all who are repentant. That means they confess their sin to God and they turn away from themselves and they turn to Him. Would you do that this morning? Will you confess your sin to God if He's convicted you of an area in which He is right now disciplining you? And you know you're going through hard times, but you know you're not right with God. And he lovingly wants you to listen and say, I'm trying to teach you something. Turn to me. Turn your focus to me. Confess that to God. Name it what it is. Don't sugarcoat it or make excuses. Turn to him in Jesus Christ. And oh, he graciously restores. If you've never been saved He'll receive you if you come to Him in Jesus Christ. If you've already been saved, He welcomes you back into a spiritual, a a warm fellowship in the Father. The last point I want you to to see as we we finish this message is, is this. The joy of a Christian is a humbled, thankful, rescued, Singing and praising joy. I'm not going to go through each one of them, but I just hope you get the point of this. Yeah, I gave you five, I guess, adjectives to joy. The joy of a Christian, a truly saved person, is a humble joy. We've, we've been humbled. We, we learned that we're, it's not about me, and I'm not so great, but he is. And really thankful joy. He is so good to me. I deserved hell. I deserved more punishment. I deserved more judgment. Oh, he is so good to me. He he heard my prayer. Because it's a rescued, rescued joy. It's that joy of, I was at the pit and you drew me up, David says. I'm relieved. It's a singing joy. Oh, this year I pray that this room and our houses and wherever we are will be filled with singing people, singing souls that are is full of true joy because God is, is near and dear to us because it's a praising joy. The psalmist David and others say this all of the time. Like in Psalm chapter 4, you have put more joy in my heart than you. They, the world unbelievers have when their grain and wine is abounding 
There's nothing compared to the joy you give me because in peace I lie down and I dwell securely. David says, you make known to me the path of real life and it might be through the ups and downs including his discipline of us. In your presence is fullness of joy and at your right hand are pleasures forevermore. Oh, may God help us this year to, to feast from the Psalms, including the truth of this Psalm, that we might come to this God, not presumptuous and thinking that we have it all together, but clinging dependently that His face would shine upon us. Let's pray. Father, oh God, I pray that You and Your mercy would help us to be and to learn the truths that David did and the gift that he gave this to us as people. Oh God, unless if you hide your face, we are dismayed. If our mountain is strong and not be moved, it's because of your mercy. Oh God, we thank you that you are a prayer hearing God, according to this psalm. We thank you that you are a merciful God, according to this psalm. That you are a life-giving God, according to this psalm. That you're a God who brings joy, according to this psalm. We thank you that you keep all of your promises. Oh God, I pray that these things would not just be like ringing around in our minds, but would enter to our hearts and we would develop and grow a rich relationship with you. I pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen.